guys. Just stand firm. That's what we've been talking about for the last, this is our fifth week in our Brave series. Um, We've been looking at Philippians chapter 4 really closely, by breaking it down, looking at various phrases, phrases that we hear over and over again all the time in various contexts. We quote them, we misquote them, we shout them, we put them on t-shirts, and they're all compacted in this one incredible chapter from Philippians chapter 4. And so we're going to continue looking there. And what Paul is trying to do with that chapter is to teach us what I just said, to stand firm, to not be afraid, to not be anxious for, or to be anxious for nothing, or to not be anxious for nothing, for no reason at all, to be strong in the Lord, to be stand firm and courageous. And so we're going to continue doing that today, because what we want, what I desire as your pastor, is to be friends with a bunch of people who are courageous who are not blown about by every wind and every wave of fear and anxiety and insecurity that the world throws at them. People that thrive at life, not just survive, not just kind of make it by, not just kind of hope that they can make it this week, but who are in the Lord secure and strong, and they aren't buried under the weight of fear and anxiety. So we're going to come to Paul's uh, two big phrases here. In, uh, in chapter 4 of Philippians. If you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at that story I just read at the beginning, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to connect the two. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Did anybody catch that? Nobody caught it. Awesome. All right. My wife got it. All right. Um, so, but before we read them, I want to say this, and you guys are all going to go amen. We live in a distrustful culture. Yeah, there it is. I primed you for it, so you knew it was coming. We live in a distrustful culture, and it's with good reason, right? Because we've all been taught to question our leaders. We've been taught to question uh, the news. We've been taught to question our authorities and even our education. It's a part of what it is to be American, is to question these things, I think. It's kind of, I don't know, they didn't put it in the, the, the Declaration of Independence, but when they wrote a Declaration of Independence, it said you need to be an independent thinker. And so think, and that's good. But now we're also immersed in a world that's full of fake news, We've been duped by leaders. We've been duped by companies. We've been duped by advertising. We've been duped by science. We've been duped by religious leaders. We've been duped by all of these things. And so naturally, we're skeptical of any claim that sounds outrageous, right? Have you ever come across one of those offers that seems really amazing in the moment, and they, but then they fail to deliver on their promises? You ever had that happen to you? Like, you know, like, if you just follow our system and pay 500 bucks... We will send you a magical pill with our patented secret formula of herbs and spices that do absolutely nothing, and you will lose 15 pounds in just three weeks. When you hear that, what does your heart and mind, your, your gut and your mind say? Your gut says, oh no, 15 pounds in three weeks, it's not possible. And your mind says, that's insane, right? We often come to the scriptures with the same sort of attitude. A skeptical attitude. And when we have outrageous phrases like what Paul is about to say to us, we think, yeah, right, that's going to happen. It's the very same reaction we have when we hear these words from Paul. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Right? Who's content, right? Who's content with what they have? I mean, every situation? Like, when the politics seem out of control? I mean... What about when my rights are threatened? What about when I'm not getting the things I want or need? What about when I can't make my bills? What about when my life is actually physically in danger? Contentment is impossible in those situations. I need to be safe. I need to be secure. 
only then will I feel content in those circumstances. But there is this connection here that I want to make. And I want you to hear this. Contentment is possible in every single one of these circumstances. Paul writes that he has learned how to be content. It's not something that just comes naturally. It's not something that's just handed to us. It's something that we learn to do. It's something that we press into, that we exercise, that we, we, we face challenges and hardships, and we learn to be content in every situation. So Paul writes that he has learned to be content in every situation, and even though it sounds crazy, Paul is not prone to lying, and he, doesn't, he isn't prone to writing down his lies in the Scripture. He has lived long enough to get some of the things that he didn't want, but that he needed— And he's lived long enough to not receive some of the things that he has desired wholeheartedly that it turns out he didn't need at all. And he found that in every situation, he could stand firm in the Lord, that he could be content because the Lord was with him. Here's what he says in chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So what he's saying here is, I know what it's like to eat top ramen, right? He knows what it's like to eat beans and rice for every meal. And he knows what it's like to have a black cypress steak, right? Anybody here, black cypress steak? You got your attention, a few people, yeah. He knows these things. He knows both. He knows both Vienna sausages and a great hamburger, is that better for some people? Am I, am I getting your attention now? He understands. He's like, now I'm hungry, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, so let's go home. All right. He's not saying these, these, these scriptures. He's not saying this phrase about being content with everything from the buffet line at the Chinese restaurant. You know, he's not there with more dumplings, more, more rice, more of this stuff. I'm like full. He's not saying it from that. You know where he's speaking this from? From prison. He is in prison writing, I know what it's like in every situation, in every circumstance, to be content. It's in this Paul, this context that Paul, he, he writes down another completely unbelievable phrase. He says this in verse 13. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. Now that's like I had a t-shirt with, with Jesus you know, bench pressing the cross and it's like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and we would go go skiing down the big hills I was talking with Rob Crosser about skiing this morning we'd go skiing in Alaska down these big hills and we were like quoting this at each other all of our youth group kids hey you can make this ski jump because Christ is going to give you strength you know, and then, you know, my friends are at the gym, and they're pumping iron, and I'm, like, got my little one-pounders going, Ugh, and they're, like, lifting, you know, they're, like, trying to max out at 200. I can do all things through Christ. It's not what Paul's talking about, guys. It is so over, over, and misinterpreted. Uh, I mean, you read this, and it even sounds arrogant that Paul would say it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what? You got some kind of superpowers now, Paul? You know, you First you were a Pharisee, and now you're a Christian, and now you got superpowers. You know, I'm able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I can fly. Paul's crazy. He's not talking about that false pump you up, get you excited, shout at you until you move sort of sort of power. That was a little late. It's okay. He's not talking about the super cat I can fly sort of power. What he is talking about is an inner strength. He's talking about this confidence, this security, this 
strength that he has inside that says it doesn't matter what comes at me. I am secure and I am content in every situation. I am stronger than I look. And by the time that Paul is writing this, he is withered, he is old, he has been beaten so many times, his hands are arthritic, his shoulders are bent and hunched, his back is probably has no feeling in it because all the nerves have been torn out of it from being whipped multiple times. He's had his feet and ankles broken. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. This guy is a train wreck when it comes to a body. And he says, I'm content and I'm stronger than I look. How many of you guys are stronger than you look? I mean, I got, got a kind of a st- crazy kind of strong, but you know, like, like oh, I'm going to get you. That's inner strength, like Paul. I can do everything because, not because I'm strong, not because I'm buff, not because I got some kind of slogan on my t-shirt, but because I have an inner strength. It's not outer strength, but inner strength that Paul is talking about. It's not arrogance, it's not craziness, but a deeply rooted confidence in Jesus. And he is never shaken because he knows, and this is what he says, that all of my needs are supplied in Christ. Every need is supplied in Christ. I want you to, last week we talked about making some declarations over our lives about the truth of God over us, what God is saying to us, and that we need to declare it. Remember this, if you were here last week? And so I want to do a couple of declarations with you this morning, and I want you to declare it out loud, okay? So will you say this with me? I think I'm going to have it on the screen here in a second. I can do anything God calls me to because God will supply everything I need. Is it on the, you got it back there? Okay, here it comes. There it is. So let's say this together. I can do anything God calls me to because God will supply everything I need. Crazy, right? Sounds absolutely insane. It's, it's, it is the, it's the fat-burning pill, it sounds like. It, it's true. But I want you to know this. When God says something that sounds crazy, it's still truth. It's still truth, even if we waver, even if we have a hard time believing it. I can do anything God calls me to. doesn't mean I can lift 200 pounds. doesn't mean I can fly. Because God hasn't called me to lift 200 pounds. I keep telling Heidi, I know you want me to work out, but God has not called me to lift 200 pounds. Amen. God has made 200 pounds to be heavy so it stays on the ground. Everything God calls me to, I can do. Because God will supply every need. Here's an interesting connection for you. Contentment and confidence. You wouldn't think that they're connected, but they really are. Paul has a confidence because he is content. He has the confidence to say, I can do anything that God calls me to because he's content in every circumstance that God calls him. He has everything that he needs. Would you realize that Jesus that in Jesus you have everything that you need and that what you don't have you probably don't need and you might want it but you don't really need it when you have that sort of confidence then what can the world take away from you? I mean really what can be taken away from you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you are content with Jesus then as a byproduct of that contentment you will stand in confidence this morning as I was preparing for this, this sermon, there was a thousand reasons why I shouldn't speak this coming into my mind. I was thinking about all the things that I am not, all the things that this church is not, all the things that this, the people that aren't here, all these things were running through my head, and God is speaking this into my heart. Be content. 
because this is what I have called you to. Be content because this is what I've made you for. Be content because this is where I want you. So another declaration. I can be content and confident because God will supply everything I need. Would you say that with me? I could be content and confident because God will supply everything I need. Second part is very true. God will supply everything I need. This first part that I, that you can be content and confident, again, seems crazy. But if we can hold on to the truth of God will supply everything I need, you'll discover that you can be content and confident. Contentment is really elusive in our culture, right? It's not only skeptical, but it's discontent. We're frequently looking for whatever is next, the next best thing. We say things like, I really need to be married. can't believe how many times I've heard that from young people. I need to be married. We'll say things like, I need a new car. said that this last week as I was skating down our neighborhood. I need a four-wheel drive. I need a tractor, something. I need a change of scenery. I need a big city, not a small town. I need an island in the Caribbean, all to myself, with nobody else there. I need a baby. I need one less baby. I need a different church. I need a different pastor. I need a different experience. I need more tongues of fire and less thinking. I need, I need better preaching. If you've said any of these things ever about a church, about your life circumstance, your situation, can I say this to you as your pastor? You don't need any of those things. What you need is to connect to Jesus. You need to connect to the supply of all of your needs. If you're feeling skeptical about these statements, this is just another one of those weight loss pills, I would suggest to you that you have not yet learned that God is for you. I've preached it over and over again here. It's, it's funny, uh, Eugene Peterson says that pastors really only have one sermon and they just preach it over and over and over again in different ways with different words. And I'm doing that right now to you guys. God is for you. How many times do I have to say it? Well, let me tell you, a lot, because I have to say it to me every 15 minutes or so. <laughs> like, God is for you. Be content. Be confident. Be secure in Christ. God is for you. You haven't learned yet that God is for you and that he's actively seeking your best if you're living with this sense of constant discontent and need. And I want you to know this, that that sense of contentment doesn't be, it isn't built just by coming to church on Sunday mornings. It isn't. As important as I think this is, and as important as coming together to hear something from the Lord, to receive from him, to turn and worship him, to, to stop, you know, the, the rushing after things and to, to say, okay, God, you know what? I forgot. Like Heidi said this morning, I, we needed a reminder. I needed to remember that you are great, that you are good, and that I love you, and that your love endures forever, and I'm going to worship you. As important as this time is, this unseen strength and confidence, it's actually built not from coming to church, but from having an unseen relationship with God. It's built when we get to know Jesus. And we do that by coming to church, but this isn't the end-all, be-all of that. We do it by hanging out with other believers. We do it by learning the stories of Jesus. We do it by prayer, and by learning the principles of God's Word and, and disciplining our lives to follow it. And that's only the half of it. 
The other half is really about obedience. It's about repentance. It's about acting on God's word. It's about putting into action the things you hear from the Lord. And we follow him. We follow his calling. And a lot of us, you know, we're like, we're, we're like Bill Murray. We're like baby steps, baby steps to the bathroom, baby steps into this, you know, reading the Bible. And that's really important. For some of us, baby steps are all we're capable of. And I want to applaud you. If you're taking a baby step just by being here this morning, thank you. Take another baby step. Keep taking baby steps. But I want to say this to everybody who is here. Baby steps will in, in, into these things will give you baby steps into your spiritual growth. They'll give you baby steps into confidence. When we call you to be brave, when I call you to be brave, what I'm talking about doing is making a leap of faith. Because when you make a leap of faith following Jesus, guess what happens to your spirit? A leap of faith in growth. A leap of faith in confidence. A leap of faith in security. A leap of faith in contentment. To the degree that you step, baby steps or giant leaps, is the degree to which you will grow. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want this? It takes bravery to follow Jesus. It takes bravery to discover this kind of contentment and peace in the midst of the storm. This is the essence of bravery. It's standing firm and refusing to be moved by trouble. Like literally refusing to be moved by trouble. That is not an easy thing to do. So last week, I, I told you guys, we used some of those phrases about anxiety. And I, I used the one about, I need, to ha- I need to meet with you or I'd like to talk with you about something. And you guys know what you did? Most of, many of you don't know, but five people after church, five people came to me and said, hey, Jamie, I need to talk to you about something. Knowing full well that I just said this to them, that this gives me anxiety and that I need like a, you know, a full body massage after just hearing that statement. And they were doing it just to see if it put me on edge. I'm like, I'm going to kick you in the shins, Rob. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. So, so when I say, say these things about it's standing firm and refusing to be moved by trouble, I understand that it's not so easy as all of that. It's, not, it's easier said than done, right? Because we're formed and trained by those circumstances and situations, by the pain of our past, by people saying crazy phrases like, I need to talk with you, and then lamb blasting you. We're trained by these things, and so we respond. And I kept, I mean, I just preached this amazing sermon, and it was amazing. If you weren't here, you want to go online and listen to it. I mean, it was like, even I got saved. It was awesome. And, and I preached this whole thing, and then right after service, I'm right back to my old self. I'm right back to responding, not as God wants me to respond, but as my heart responds, as my brain responds. But the essence of bravery is to say, I will not be moved by trouble. I will not be moved when somebody says to me, I need to talk to you. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Sounds like our our second Kings passage, right? You look up to the hills, and what do you see? An army surrounding you, right? I lift my eyes up to the hills, and I'm wondering, where is my help going to come from? Where is this going to... The hills are around me, and they are full of enemies. Where does my help come from? David firmly says, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. It's not that we're not rightly concerned about things. It's not that we don't sometimes feel fear over completely reasonable things. But it's that we're not needlessly anxious about things 
that we have no control over and that we're not chasing after supplies, but we're chasing after the supplier. I know, it's one of those really catchy phrases. You're going to want to write that down. We're not chasing after supplies. We're not chasing after our needs. We're not chasing after a husband or a wife or an island, although it would be nice to have an island. We're chasing after the supplier of those things. Our source of strength and supply, it's not our minds. It's not our bodies. It's not our abilities. It's not our friends and relations. It's not our paychecks. It's Jesus. And because it's Jesus, our souls and our minds can be at rest. The Psalms are so good at this. They speak truth to their heart. Oh, oh soul, do not be anxious. Find rest, my soul, in God alone. Find rest. Not find worry, not find fear, not find anxiety. Find rest. We can refuse to be shaken. We can speak to our hearts. And when we do, we will become content in every circumstance, whether we're in the buffet line or we're in the the food handout line or if there's no food handout line and we're wondering where our next meal is coming from. We know that we can do everything that God calls us to. We can be content in every circumstance and situation that God places us in because he will supply every need. And if I don't have it right this minute, I probably don't need it. It turns out that by learning how to be brave in our everyday lives, we can actually become content. Contentment gives us confidence because when we have our needs met by God, there is nothing that the world can take away that he's given. And if he's given it to you, nobody can take it away. We can be content because no matter what, we have strength and we have a supplier in Jesus. Our strength is the invisible working of Jesus in us. It's that daily relationship that comes when you meet with him, when you, when you, when you purpose to, to spend time with him, to, to have your mind open throughout your day, and when troubles come and anxieties come, you turn and say, Jesus, this is going on. What am I called to? Will you give me strength for this? Will you help me focus on you? And what Paul says is that when we do this, that God supplies us not from his checkbook, not from, you know, a storehouse in the back where, oh, we're, you know, we're, hey, we're out of courage this week. So you're going to have to wait till the next supply of courage comes in for the following week. He says that it comes from the riches of his glory, which is to say it's endless supply. That God has all that we need and always has it. And it's always ready, always on order. We just press one click and here it comes. So hold on. Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord and receive what he has for you. Now going back to 2 Kings, I mean, that was good, right? It's like, that's what I needed. I can go home now. But wait, there's more. You didn't think I'd finish this early, did you? Yeah. You know, like bait and switch. There's more. I have a whole nether sermon for you, Derek. A whole nether sermon. Maybe three. I want to make a nether connection. So the first one is that contentment and confidence, right? That when we can be content in Christ, we can be confident. Or that when we stand confident in Jesus, that the reverse happens, that we become content. And this other one is, uh, is something that I've repeated over and over again in this series. It's that it's not what life throws at you that matters so much as how you see your situation, right? It's not so much the things that are coming at you. It's not so much your challenges, but it's how you respond to them. It's how you stand up to them. It's how you speak when you're faced with them. It's whether you go to complaint or you go to faith. 
It's whether you go to insecurity and anxiety or you stand firm. These things, in uh, Second King, we see the king of, of Syria has sent forces to actually capture the prophet Elijah. So Elijah, Elisha, sorry, there's two, Elijah and Elisha. This is Elisha, and I will probably butcher that because I get them mixed up in my head. But we're talking about Elisha with the S. So if you get, you'd be like, hey, you were talking to somebody different. I was meaning the other guy. Um, he's got this, this habit. He prays, and when he prays, God talks to him. Cool thing, right? And what happens is, is that the king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, king Israel has been divided at this point. They've had a civil war, and there are two countries now, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And uh, so Elisha is living up in the north, and Elisha prays, and God says, hey, this country is about to attack, and they're going to attack from, you know, Wawai Road, and they're going to come down Davis Way into downtown. And, he, and so Elisha's like, okay, thanks, Lord. And then he goes to the king of Israel, and he says, hey, uh, a king, God told me that this, this nation is going to attack, and this is the route they're going to come. And so the king's like, all right, I trust you. And so he sends his troops right down to Davis Way, and they come into town, and they're like, what? We're surrounded. And it happens over and over and over again. And so the kings of these other nations are like, how does he do that? How does the king know where to put his troops every time we try to attack? And Elisha's like, well, I know. And somehow they figure this out. And so they decide instead of sending their troops after the king and they're sending their troops after Israel, they're sending their troops after Elisha. You ever felt like that? That the very thing that God calls you to do is like, oh, shoot, now everybody's after me. You know, I'm standing firm, Lord, but why are they coming? You know, and that's what's going on with Elisha. So the king of Syria, or Aram, has sent his forces to capture Elisha in this city called Dothan. Is there a spiritual connotation to the city of Dothan? Not that I'm aware of. It's just a place. It's, it's where he was at. And so it's early in the morning. His servant, Elisha's servant, Elisha's like, it's sleep late day. You know, it's Saturday. I'm going to sleep till at least nine today. And his servant's like, he gets up early. He's like, I'm going to make a great breakfast. Make frittata and coffee. And he's getting this whole thing, you know, plan, and he gets his, his feet hit the floor, and he looks out the window, and what does he see? An army. He's surrounded before breakfast. He's got his cup of coffee, and you could just almost picture that. You, know, you ever had that moment where you're like, and then you drop the cup, and it shatters, and there's coffee everywhere, and that's what wakes everybody up. He has that moment, and it was like nothing he'd ever seen before. He knew for sure that they were done for. But Elijah prays that his eyes would be open. Paul, while in prison, he was facing all sorts of spiritual attacks, physical attacks. The churches that he had planted throughout the world, they were having all kinds of discord and they were like fights and arguments over whether women should be speaking in church or not, whether, you know, it's okay to eat food but it's sacrificed to idols, whether Paul was even an apostle, whether he had any authority to command them or do any of this stuff. He's facing all of these things. And so as he's facing this stuff, he must have had this come to mind because he prays this prayer that's just like what Elisha had to say. It's like he woke up and he looked out and he saw an army surrounding him and he said this, he prayed this for the church in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians 1.18. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, and the Greek word there would really be made to see, opened up so that you could see, that you may know, which that's that biblical know, you may know intimately, that you would know and see it, you would be able to touch it and feel it, you would embrace it, you would hold it close, it would be, you'd become one flesh with this understanding that you would know, your eyes would be open, that you would know what the hope to which he has called you is. What is that hope? Here's the connection. Elisha was the greatest prophet in all of the Old Testament. He did more miracles than any of the others. 
Why was he able to do so many miracles? The power of God, yes. But I think that the reason is the same reason that Paul was able to do and be who Paul was, to be content in every circumstance. It wasn't so much that he was strong and capable or capable of calling down miracles, but that he had eyes to see what God was doing. He had his eyes opened. He could see what nobody else could see, and he had trained himself to do it. He could see through the situations. He could see through the fear. He could see through the anxiety. He could see, just like Elisha, through the army and see what God was doing. Elisha, one time there was a a stream. It was so polluted that it was affecting everything. If you drink out of it, you'd get sick. The animals would drink out of it, they would die. The crops, they were withering. Everybody was starving and running out of water. They were, it was, the whole situation was just a mess. And Elisha comes to it, and he looks at this water, and instead of saying, yeah, that's nasty, we need to go find more water, he says, bring me some salt. Good idea. Why didn't we think of this, right? So they bring him some salt, and he throws the salt in the water. And when he throws the salt in the water, guess what happens? The water is magically, not magically, Holy Spirit purified and cleaned, and anybody who drank of it, and it, in fact, it stayed clean forever after that, and anybody who drank of it was refreshed. The crops came back. The animals came back. He saw what everybody else saw, pollution. When everybody else saw destruction and death, Elisha saw possibility. He saw maybe what God might want to do. And it's interesting because Jesus, later, comes out to the, this hill and he's preaching to people. And what does he say to the people? He's thinking back to Elisha, who throws salt in this polluted water, and he says, hey, guess what, guys? You are the salt of the earth. Oh, you are the salt of the earth. And just like Elisha threw salt in that polluted river to make it clean, I'm throwing you into the polluted river of this world to make it clean. You are the salt of the earth. When we see our world, we're like, it's just going to hell in a handbasket. H-E double hockey sticks. God's saying, I've thrown you into it. I've salted it with you. And I see a possibility that you don't yet see. I want to open your eyes to it. Later, there's a widow, and her only son died, and Elisha prays. He actually physically lays his body on this child and raises the child to new life. Where people saw death, Elijah saw the possibility of life. There was another woman who was on their last bit of food, and he says, hey, make me a meal. And she says, hey, I've only got enough to to feed my son and I our last meal, and it's just a little bit of bread. And he says, you know what, if you trust me, and you trust God, you'll, you'll be provided for. And so she does. And guess what? Where there was scarcity, where there was nothing left, those jars of oil and flour and salt that needed to make that bread never emptied ever again. Elijah looked and where everybody else saw scarcity, he saw plenty. His eyes were opened. And that's exactly what happened here in this text in Second Kings. The Syrian army has surrounded Dothan and the servant wakes up and he prays the prayer, oh no, my Lord, what are we going to do? The servant runs to tell Elisha, but Elisha prays that the servant's eyes would be opened, just like Paul prays that our eyes would be opened. And then the servant saw. His eyes were open. And what did he see? He saw that there was another army that were on the hillsides surrounding the city. And they were on fire with the glory of God, horses and chariots. When you look at the one army, you see a lot of firepower. When you look at the other army, you see the firepower with the power of God behind it. 
Elisha didn't pray that God would send help. He prayed that the servant would see that help was already there. So often we do that, don't we? We're like, God, help me. God, save me. God, make this situation different. God, send me these resources. And God's going, "Ah, just open up your eyes. I just want you to see. Guess what? It's already there. We're praying for God to show up. And he wants us to see, look, he's been present all along. That's why Paul prays that the Ephesus, that the Ephesians would have their eyes open. And I say to us too, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened so that we could see and know what? The hope to which we are called. Who or what is, do you suppose that hope is? It's Jesus. So how's your eyesight? Mine's kind of gotten fuzzy over the years. We're turning 42 pretty soon. All the young college students said, oh, you're just about to be irrelevant. And everybody, <laughs> and then everybody that's over 42 is like, young buck. You know, I'm in that weird middle place. But as I've gotten older, my eyesight's changed. It started with computers. I'd look at computers and I'd get headaches. And then I got these wonderful glasses. And I actually wear these because they do help me see a little bit. And mostly they just make me look really cool. And so, you know, but when I take these off now, when I look at Russ, you're fuzzy. And I put them back on. You're still fuzzy, Russ. Um, maybe you need a haircut or something. I don't know. We're, we're, my eyesight, I get fuzzy, right? I can't, I can't see real well. It's out to a distance, and, it, and it's kind of disconcerting when, when I take my glasses off. I'm like, oh, man, I really should be able to see people in the third row. Why can't I see people in the third row? I'm getting old. But when I put them on, all these things, they become crystal clear. That's really how it happens when we're in our fear and anxiety and stress and uncertainty about the future. It's kind of like we come with no glasses on. We, we look, and what we see is only right what's right here in front of us. We can't see beyond that. We can't see past the the anxiety and the fear and the stress or the circumstance to what God is doing. And that is what Paul is praying for us. And what I pray for you and what I've prayed for you this morning and what I ask you to tell one another, stand firm, God is with you. To see it. To actually see it. To not just believe it intellectually, but to see it. Now here's something really cool. When God opens the eyes of the servant... His attention is immediately drawn away from the surrounding army. I, I can kind of imagine it. You know, he's looking out there, and well, who he sees is Conan the Barbarian on a horse, right? And the horse is like, holy cow, this guy's heavy. And he's got this gigantic sword, and he's wearing some sort of weird skull on his head because that's what everybody does when they're barbarians. And he's looking at that guy saying, oh no, my lord, that thing is going to eat me. But then suddenly, just off to the left of that, just off to the left of that guy, there was, there's this, this glint that catches his attention, like, like somebody, you know, lit a match. And he looks, and his eyes begin to focus, and he's like, there's another big guy back there. And he's on fire. Why is he on fire? And then he's like, he notices that the whole hillside is glinting and glowing, and that there's this whole army. It just dawns on him slowly, And he's looking right at this guy that's saying, I'm going to eat your lunch, and then I'm going to eat you. But then he sees this other army outside of them, and it's horses and chariots. It's all the power of this earth magnified in God's glory. When God opened up that servant's eyes, he gave him an x-ray vision. Not just to see the unseen, but to see what's just past what is seen. What's surrounding what is seen. To see through the enemies. And to see God's presence. 
when troubles like fear, depression, or anxiety seem right on top of us, when they're pawing at us first thing in the morning, we can look right through them to see God's presence. There's this ancient Sufi story. Sufi, not Sufyan Stevens, if you're into that kind of music. This is the ancient Muslim sect. These are the guys that spin the whirling dervishes. There's an ancient teaching from them that speaks of fish. This fish, they spend their days anxiously swimming from place to place looking for water. It's Dory, yeah. I mean, look at they're like, hey, is it underneath this rock? No, it's got to be over here. And they're, hey, have you seen the water? I haven't seen the water. And they're just anxiously swimming about looking for water. And the story says that suddenly all of their anxiety, all of their fear, all of their stress is eliminated when they open their eyes and see that they have been swimming in it all along exactly what God is calling us to here. Open your eyes and see it's not help that you need because help is here. Open your eyes and see that God isn't some far off place and that there's an army in front of you, but that God is here, that he is present. You may not feel it, you may not see it, you may not know it in this moment or the next, but it's real and it's here. That we swim in the presence of God. And just like Dory, we say, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. One last thing I want to share from these texts this morning. I mean, hopefully you've had a moment of clarity at some point in the past five weeks or even this morning where God's like struck your brain and he's like, oh, that's, this is it. This is the truth. Here it is. And I'm going to hold on to this. But if not, maybe this is this is last one is for you. When you read the text in 2 Kings, you may have noticed the wording that the horses and chariots of fire were all around Elisha. So nice, right? To have that sense of like God's presence is literally surrounding you. We all want that. We, we'll go to special services at other churches. We'll, we'll uh, seek an encounter. We'll watch a video. We'll do whatever we can to get this sense that God's presence is around me right now. Or we're like uh, last week where we, we read read the psalm that said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And it's like that moment where we realize, hey, goodness and mercy is not following me. It's right here in front of me. We want that moment. And God surrounds us just as this army was surrounding Elisha. But I wanted you to notice something. If you back up just a few words, you back up just a few words, it says this, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. You, You get the sense of what's going on here? So there's Elisha, there's an army, and then there's God's army on the other side of that army. We want that army to be between us and the bad army, right? We want God's army to be between us and our enemies. David says it, Lord, if you would only strike down my enemies. And God's saying, hey, I'm present, I'm with you. I'm on the other side. I'm surrounding your enemies. I'm literally surrounding your enemies. God's army was surrounding Elisha and his servants, protecting them from attack. But God's armies were also surrounding Elisha's enemies. It's kind of like these, that army of God was daring the other army. Hey, we've got their back. They've got to face you, but we've got their back. I dare you to attack. Go ahead. And they're saying to Elisha and the servant, you've got to face that enemy. You've got to face that challenge. You've got to face that thing, but stand firm because look just beyond, just beyond look. I'm surrounding them. God wants to show himself strong on our behalf.
why, you know, I, I, get, I struggle with this. God, why is it that you want me to face challenges and fear and anxiety? God, why is it that you call me to be strong and courageous and then send me into a land of enemies? God, why is it that when I wake up in the morning, fear and anxiety is surrounding me? Why don't you just come and make those things go away? It'd be a lot easier. If you did it my way, Lord, everybody would be a lot happier. I think that God does it this way, surrounds our enemies and says, hey, face your enemies, I've got your back. Because he wants us to know that it is not by our strength or power or wisdom that we are able to challenge the fears and anxieties and struggles of our lives, but that it is by his strength and his strength alone that we find salvation. God says, just let, let's, let's let him see him try and attack you. Let's just let him see him try. And Elijah prays and says, Lord, I pray that you would blind this army. It's crazy. It's this whole irony thing. He says to the servant, God, open his eyes. And then he says to the army, God, close their eyes. And then he winds up leading them right into a trap where they are surrounded and they are captured. God takes them out. But God wants us to know that it is not our power that causes these things to happen. He couldn't blind these men on his own. He couldn't end the anxiety or fear on his own, but only through the power of God. God wants to use our need to show us his supply. He wants to show us, look, you you need all of these things. You're feeling all this fear and anxiety, but I am the only one that can supply those needs. And the only way you're going to stand content and confident is to seek me, the supplier of your needs. God is a faithful father. And he's committed to seeing us through this life. He's committed to seeing us through our struggles. He's committed to see us through our bondages, the things that trip us up constantly, anger, fear, addictions, whatever it happens to be. He's committed to walking these things through with us. But he wants us to know that it is not our strength that causes us to walk at his. Every day, we feel like we're surrounded by different enemies. Sometimes God doesn't appear to be visibly working. But when we see these things through, when we stand firm and we refuse to be moved and shaken, and we turn our trust to Jesus, God promises us that we will see his love and faithfulness. Surely, goodness and mercy are following us. We're going to... I'm not even sure how to end this thing anymore kind of come to the end of it and I'm just like oh so many things the Lord has been speaking here you guys have you received something from the Lord in the past five weeks just raise your hand if you got anything from the Lord in the past five weeks okay good I hope so <laughs> good most of you I got something else for you we've been calling this practical spiritual uh, warfare and I just want to give you three four ways to practically walk this out the first of all is this is to add, ask God to open your eyes and you're like I want to refuse to be shaken. I want to refuse for these circumstances to blow me over. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Be proactive. Or the servant was just freaking out. Elijah is sitting on the, on the bench, and he's just smiling with that stupid grin. And he's like, I know something you don't. And the, the servant's going, well, you know, how many times did you flunk prop at school? Because I'm like counting, and it's like, how many people are for us? One, two. How many people are with them? Surround the city, you know. He needed his eyes opened. He didn't ask for it. Maybe we need to ask. Ask that God would open your eyes. 
let's just be really practical. I mean, that's super practical. Jesus, open my eyes to see your provision surrounding me at all times. God, fear and anxiety pawing on my arm. It's even scratching me. His claws have gotten a little long. God, help me see your provision. Now, if you're in a place where like, hey, I'm good right now. I'm feeling really strong. I'm feeling uh, this whole brave thing. I'm, I'm, I feel like I got this. It's time for you to turn and pray that prayer for somebody else. We all know people who are caught up in fear and anxiety. We all know people who are struggling with the news, who are struggling with their finances, or all this stuff. Contend for somebody else. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, help them see. Lord, help me be a part of that army surrounding them and have their back. Contend for somebody else. Secondly, if you're struggling with this sense of not even understanding that it's out there, God, open my eyes. God, open my eyes. Even if your eyes are not open in this moment, I would like you to challenge you to believe in God's goodness, to hold on to this, that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. There is no wiggle room in that phrase. That he is good, and he's got your back even when you can't see it. Now that's called trust. It's trust. Believe in God's goodness. Thirdly, seek the supplier and not the supplies. Every time your heart says, I need this, I need that, I need a new car, I need a, a new cat, a new husband, whatever it happens to be, or if it's just, I need more money in my paycheck, or I need, I don't know what, what your needs are. I can tell you what all my needs are. I've got a list of them. To turn and say, Jesus, these things I don't need, what I need is you. I need you. All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. It's you, Lord. All I need is you. It's a simple prayer put to music. Maybe start praying that prayer. All I need is you and seek the supplier and not the supplies. And lastly, walk in confidence, knowing that God's got your back at all times and in all places. To close this morning, what I want to do is just invite you to stand. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes so that you can see, like, you're not distracted by what's around you. Not not by the things that are pawing at you, but that your eyes could maybe see what God is saying to you or hear or your ears could be opened and hear what God is saying to you. And I just want to pray that simple prayer that all I need is you. You got this, Jandy? Let's, let's sing this with Jandy. It's just all I need is you, Lord. All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. It's you, Lord. All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. It's you, Lord. All I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. I need you. I need you, Lord. Now let's sing this together, their hands lifted. All I need is you. 